0: Blip, blap, blop. What's happening out there? It is uh, Lions of Liberty's Electric Liberty Land episode number 139, and you should go buy some coffee. Yeah, an Arco coffee from us. It's called the Morning Roar. You could do it in an enema. You could do it in your mouth. You could pour it in your ear. I don't know how you like to drink your coffee, and it's none of my damn business, my fellow libertarians. So go check out Anarco Coffee. You can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. And if you use the code ROAR 10, you get 10% off your very first offer from that delicious coffee company. Bam!
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy. And Liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: Oh, hey, hey, howdy, howdy, everybody. It is Brian McWilliams here on this delightful Wednesday morning. I am uh, once again hot in the city, hot in the city tonight as I record this show. <laughs> it's like reminds you of that Simpsons episode where Lisa's envisioning the future and she's just fat with a bunch of kids lying in a hammock, morbidly obese. And she's like, I gotta wash myself with a rag on a stick. (laughs) That is literally like the way I feel right now. I have have doused a small towel in water and brought it into my den slash office slash recording domicile here my uh, my cave of hot, my little my little fucking recording sauna here, so that that way I may douse myself and wipe my bald, sweaty head off as I record this episode. But you know what? This show today, uh, as you can probably tell from the show title, is going to be a bit of a departure because I wanted to review David Chappelle's new comedy special. Mainly, well, number one, I love Dave Chappelle. I, I think he is absolutely a brilliant comedian. Uh, and I love the fact that He's just a guy that's not gonna back down. He's gonna do it his way. He does not give a goddamn what you think. And this is really what I mean, Dave Chappelle is what comedy is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be people kowtowing to popular opinion. It's not supposed to be people writing comedy dictated by popular opinion and literally uh, like discovering comedy by virtue of what's politically correct, and then working back from there. That is not the way the comedy process should be working. It should work in that you find something hilarious, you trot it out there, and then you have confidence in your material. Or if the audience throws it back, you then can retool it. But part of being a great comedian is having the utmost mental security in what you think is funny. The greatest comedians of our time or of any time were all people who did not listen to public opinion. They didn't listen even to their own peers. They said, look, this is what I think is funny. This is what I think is groundbreaking. This is what makes me laugh. And this is what I'm going to do. I mean, we look at, you know, Tim and Eric, you know, they had their show on uh, Comedy Central, Adult Swim, whatever it was, where they had, you know, Steve Bruhl, this crazy professor, Steve Brule. They wrote just insane off the wall comedy. Maybe that sketch comedy wasn't your cup of tea, but it was out there. It was different. And they said, this is what we find funny. And people got to got into it. I mean, the kids in the hall, that was groundbreaking comedy back in the day. The number of bizarre sketches those people put together, I mean, you couldn't even count them. The chicken lady, it's a woman who's a half chicken and a half lady. That's the premise of the sketch. And it just got weirder from there. I mean, groundbreaking stuff, not tethered, to a political environment, not tethered to what the uh, the diktat says you can or can't say, absolute assurance in your own convictions, and your own sense of humor. And Dave Chappelle has that in spades. And this new comedy special called Sticks and Stones, really, I mean, it is everything you could ask for from one of the most genius comedic minds of our time and going out there guns blazing, naked to the world, Come at me, bro. That's basically how Chappelle has addressed this. Now, I wanted to double up this, and I'm trying to think uh, which way, if I want to put the cart before the horse or not. I think I'll do a review of Chappelle's special, but then I do want to talk uh, briefly about this horrible vice piece that also made me really want to to watch this special. It came out Monday. I said, okay, I got to get this thing turned around. I watched it today, about three hours before I recorded the show, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. But Vice has an article out basically saying that Dave Chappelle's new special is something that is going to tarnish his legacy and that it shouldn't be watched. The headline is, you can definitely skip Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special. Well, that makes me want to watch it because anything Vice hates is a ringing endorsement that something is good and excellent and unpc pc and everything that the left can't stand. And that to me sounds like the yellow brick road that I will happily traipse down to see the wizard. And I just hope that Dave Chappelle is pulling back a curtain, which I will then dance behind, tap my ruby slippers and go to an alternate reality, wake up from this nightmare hellscape of PC dickheads and douchebags and be back in wonderful Kansas, which actually probably, well, Kansas also sucked, especially at that time. But you know what I mean? Let's say a modern day Kansas full of I don't know, beer and hookers, whatever it might be <laughs> or just or just here with my with my loving wife and and baby on the way, you know, potato potato okay, so let me let me get into this let me get into this special a little bit, and it'll be a little bit free flowing because I you know I took notes again this just a few hours ago, and I've got a lot of current event stuff to get into later, so let's just see how long this rambling goes and what happens later. One thing I will say is it was interesting because a lot of the articles that are coming out about Chappelle's new special try to juxtapose his comedy with Aziz Sorry, which is bizarre on its very face. And I'll tell you why. Because number one, Dave Chappelle didn't do anything. Dave Chappelle is a guy who's made jokes. So I guess you could say that He got in trouble for making un-PC jokes, for going out and making jokes about gays and trans people, uh, for making jokes about gun control and all these other things, which again, comedy, you're supposed to be able to joke about these things. Nothing is taboo in comedy. Comedy is, I mean, half the purpose is to challenge social norms, to challenge everyday understanding of topics, be they political, be they social, uh, be they established historical, cultural norms. The idea is to get out there Flip those things on their heads and make people think about them in a different way, or challenge people to laugh at something. Well, basically, so they can't they can't not laugh at something that they are morally objectable or, or uh, they're morally opposed to, or that their political alignment is completely uh, opposed to, diametrically opposed, and yet they find themselves laughing at these topics. It can open people up to new ideas, to new conversations. So it's interesting that people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, it was." A complete opposite to Aziz Ansari's comedy special that was released on Netflix, which I reviewed with Dan Smots, by the way, and I'll link to that in the show notes. We did a Rotten Potatoes episode reviewing that show. uh, I'm not a fan of Aziz Ansari in general. I find him to be pretty much unfunny. I don't think his comedy is very clever. Uh, I think he pretty much relies on his voice and his delivery rather than sound comedic writing. But Aziz Ansari despite the fact that I don't think he did anything wrong, was at least tarnished in the eyes of the Me Too, hashtag Me Too and the lefties and, I don't know, the feminist movement for basically being a guy that took a girl back, uh, willingly took a girl back to his apartment, made out with this girl, had sexual relations with this girl, again, all willingly, and then the girl going out and writing a shitty article For Mel Magazine, I think it was, saying that it was one of the worst nights of her life and detailing all of the sexual encounters and the things that she found weird about Aziz Ansari. Despite the fact that this was a completely voluntary interaction on her part, and to be honest, he seemed like a pretty much a complete gentleman. Everything she asked him to do when she asked him to stop doing something, he stopped. He's like, okay, that's fine. We can just watch Netflix, you know, and she said, so let's slow it down. So she tries to ruin the man's life, pretty much succeeds for a long time because, you know, anybody here in this canceled culture gets me too'd and they, uh, untouchable, no matter how uh, ridiculous the allegations may be. So season sorry. goes underground, then reemerges. and does a comedy special where he spends the first 10 minutes very unfunnily uh, talking about what he went through and doing a kind of woe is me act and, oh, I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot when I was down there and, and now I'm back. And then at the end of it, you know, saying and this is honest, but he says I've been through a lot, and I just appreciate you guys being here. Hey, okay, bye. All right, fine, Aziz, you went through a lot. I get you went through a lot, but <laughs> you know, coming out and doing the apology tour—that's that's not something I'm down with. But I understand it from a, a dollars and cents perspective. So it was interesting to see people saying that. Well, this was no Aziz and Sorry Special, and shame on Dave Chappelle for coming out and being like, hey. Double middle fingers, fuck all y'all. And that's essentially what he did. I'm going to play real quick. It's This is Zio, you know, two minutes from the special. It's out there publicly. They ran it on social media. So you can listen to this and see what the opening... I mean, this is literally in like the first 10 minutes of the show, I'd say. And I'm not going to go and reveal a lot of spoilers about his jokes. I'll talk about a couple of them. But I want you to go watch it for yourself. Listen to my review. Decide whether or not, based upon my review, you think you'll like it or not. Well, I want you to view it yourself. I don't want to do it a disservice to his humor. But here we go. Kick it off with this, and then I'll do my, uh,
1: my deeper review. Tonight, I'm going to do something that I'm not particularly good at, but that I like to do. Tonight, I'm going to try some impressions out. I only got two. All right, the first impression's kind of dumb, but I like it. This, this is my impression, you ready? This is my impression of the Founding Fathers of America when the Constitution was being written. You ready? Here it goes. Hurry up and finish that Constitution, nigga. I'm trying to get some sleep. <laughs> All right, the next one. The next one's a little harder. I wanna see if you can guess who it is I'm doing an impression of. All right, let me get into character. You gotta guess who it is, though. Okay, here it goes. Uh, Duh, hey, dur, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh and I find out about it, I'm going to try to take everything away from you and I don't care what I find out, it could be today tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now, if I find out you're fucking duh finished Who, who's that that's you that's what the audience sounds like to me why well, I don't be coming out doing comedy all the time, because y'all niggas is the worst motherfuckers I've ever tried to entertain in my fucking life.
0: You gotta love that. My favorite part of that sketch, or was that, that little bit, was somebody yelling out, multiple people actually yelling out, that they thought he was talking about Donald Trump. Because that's the society, that's the culture we are now. Everybody just presumes that any joke is made about Trump. Because he is the butt of every single late-night comedy show, every single stand-up comedian, every hacky leftist comedian, all the goddamn jokes on Twitter. So you love that Chappelle's not going that way, turns around, slaps the audience upside the head, and makes them realize that they're all assholes, that they're all being as judgmental as possible. Even the people at his own show. That's what I love about it. Even the people at his own show (laughs) are not above being called... The the utmost assholes that he hates. Now, what's interesting too there in that first first little segment, you also heard his joke about the writers of the Constitution and saying that you know come on, get, finish that Constitution up except late going to bed. I'll be honest, I had to think a lot about this joke, and I still don't know exactly what Chappelle's getting at. You know, I tried to deconstruct it from a few different angles, and usually. You know, I get a joke right away. When you do stand-up comedy, you kind of get these things. You know where the joke's going, you can deconstruct it. Even the most uh ambiguous jokes you can tend to figure out. But this one, I really don't know what his point is. Because there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Number one is I guess saying that it's interesting that the founding fathers would have had would have been using these slaves to write the Constitution. Uh unwittingly, I guess. Creating the society that would entail equality, or unintentionally, are is it the joke that they are unintentionally using the slaves, or is the joke on the other hand maybe is the joke that even the Constitution, right, or America with all its equality was built on the labor of slaves? Is that the joke? Uh, I honestly, it's a little bit difficult to to decode it. I'm guessing it's the latter interpretation that I'm throwing out there, in which case you know, it's a funny enough joke, um, but a little bit ambiguous. So, and, I, and it's what I even I even looked online. I said, okay, is there any explanation? Has he said anything about it? No. And honestly, as a comedian, you tend to not want to explain your jokes anyway. Let people talk about it. Let people interpret them as they will, and uh, and just be like, hey, if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. So anyway, but in general, you see, he goes right at, at cancel culture. And he does talk about Aziz Ansari uh, very briefly, and he but he gets into the concept of how he doesn't believe victims, right? You know that whole thing about you have to believe the victims because he was friends with Louis C.K. He does a very funny bit about Louis C.K. and and uh, the allegations uh, against him and how Louis got canceled essentially for masturbating on himself, uh, which again we've all talked about that. But you know he does he talks about Michael Jackson. And the documentary with Michael Jackson and the victims there, the quote unquote victims they're in. Uh, he also gets into R. Kelly, which is really funny. I'll do a little a little homage to his reference there, which is just that you know, R. Kelly's R Kelly's uh, porn tape, you know, R. Kelly having sex with girls. and we don't know how old they really are. But of course, R. Kelly's on the tape being like, oh, yeah, give me that 14 year old pussy. And he's like, she's like, you like this pussy? This 14 year old pussy? He's like, oh, yeah. She tells what he's like, give your lawyer something to work with, R. Kelly. Funny stuff. Uh, and he gets into the fact that it's like, you know, celebrity hunting season, is a quote from this, this uh, comedy special, which is certainly what it seems like. And we're seeing that from both sides of the table not only lefties going after people on the right, but also people on the right going after people on the left and trying to bring them down. I mean, there's this whole spat now at the New York Times is up in arms because their journalists' old tweets are being unearthed and they somehow figure that this is an attack on journalism. But people are countering that very logically, in my opinion, by saying just because you're a journalist, that doesn't mean you don't play by the rest of the rules, which you yourselves have created. I mean, you went into this your people have combed through tweets. You try to get people fired. You try to get people doxxed. You, you know you try to destroy lives based upon jokes. And Chappelle even goes into talking about Kevin Hart quite a bit, and Kevin Hart canceling you know canceling the Oscars because some old jokes, jokes, you know. And this New York Times thing, I actually defended one of the New York Times writers that got brought up because there was an old joke he threw. Out, I think it was something about Jewish people. And it was clearly a joke. It was a, it was like two tweets that were just nonsense. It was something like, Happy New Year, you Jews. Okay. Just being goofy. Guys probably drunk on Twitter. Just thought it'd be a funny thing to throw out there. Again, nuance is lost. Intent doesn't matter. Just demonized. But Chappelle's making that same point. He talks about, you know, Kevin Hart and these old quote homophobic tweets and makes a point that the things he's saying are clearly jokes. The context of them doesn't even make sense in the real world. It's all in the context of a joke designed to embrace the absurd to make somebody laugh. And to say that now you're not allowed to host the Oscars, that you're not allowed to work at your job, that you're not allowed to walk down the street without somebody throwing a fucking milkshake on you, because of that fact, is ridiculous. So he talks quite a bit about this you know, celebrity hunting season. Um, he doesn't specifically talk about the New York Times things. Of course, that hadn't happened yet. But talks about this unspoken unspoken role of show business as well, that you are, quote, not allowed to upset the alphabet people. And by alphabet people, Dave Chappelle is referring to the LGBTQ crowd. And he goes on, I would say, half the special is him making fun of the LGBTQ crowd, uh, LT- LGBTQ, God, this freaking acronyms way too long. And talking about the dynamics there, talking about how uh, he doesn't get along as well with the trans people because they're just too easy to make fun of. Uh, he has a very funny joke about being born in the wrong body. <laughs> and if there's one joke, honestly, that I think will get him in the most trouble from this entire special, and it's not that it's the funniest joke, although it had me laughing out loud, just because, again, the, the absurdity of what he did with this. It just got me rolling, had me rolling on the ground. But he talks about, you know, he goes, oh, okay, you're born in the wrong body and I'm not going to do the joke justice. Again, this is why you guys have to watch, special yourselves. And it's too hard for me to obviously, you know, to pull it off Netflix. and just be horrible audio on my phone. I'm not going to do it. But he talks about, okay, if you're born in the wrong body, you think you were. He goes like, what if I think I'm Chinese and I'm born in this N-word body? And then he does, and he goes, and I just go around making this face and doing this voice. And he sticks his teeth out like a buck tooth, you know, like the worst, most racist Chinese person impression you could ever do. And he goes, oh, I rock look like this. And just does like, you know, out of the 1920s kind of Chinese person impression. Something that would be considered very racist in today's society. And something I'm sure, I've not read all of the outrage pieces. I've not looked at other the other reviews on, uh, online. But I'm sure is the one thing above all else that really is going to get him in trouble. So he does this horrible Chinese impression and uh, just be making fun of the fact that it's so, so kind of crazy to think about you being trapped in the wrong body. But at the same time, he makes a very funny point that it is a hilarious situation to imagine. I mean, how many movies are based on the premise of people switching bodies and being trapped in the wrong body and how awkward <laughs> that would make life. And he is, again, he's... He's not even taking a solid stance on this. And this is something that's throughout the entire special. And I'll give some more examples of this, too, as I, as I go through and, and to kind of wrap this up. But Dave Chappelle does a masterful job of not having an open advocacy for any one point of view. You'll think he's going to. And he draws you in, and this is the genius, and this is what comedy is supposed to be, and why I hate comedy in this fucking leftist, Trump anti-Trump hatred era, because you can see where every joke is coming so clearly. There's no surprises. You know what the punchline is. The entire concept of comedy is the bait and switch. It's the misdirection. You think they're going to go one way, and then they go a completely opposite direction you could never see coming, and that's what makes you laugh so hard is because it takes you by surprise and brings you to a whole other place that you never imagined. Every time during the special, where you think Dave Chappelle is actually going to give you his honest opinion, and he hints at it in places, but he always shows a stance that is actually pretty nuanced. And then he switches the things around on you and lures you into the, to the open, waiting jaws of a joke. So he does, you know, he does this joke talking about uh, being stuck in the wrong bodies. He also later works in that his wife is Asian, by the way, and the mother of his, of his children. You know, his longtime wife, Elaine, is, is of Asian descent. So when he's doing these Asian jokes, you know, it kind of softens the blow a little bit. But he also talks about gender in sports, uh, you know, talks about men complete, competing against women and how kind of ridiculous that would be. Uh, he talks about abortion. Uh, he talks about father's rights a little bit. And, um, no, I'm not going to go into his specific views, but an interesting take about it. Uh, and he also says, yeah, what note of this, he said, I can't live in this world you're proposing. And he's talking about the restrictions people are putting on speech, the restrictions people are putting on action, the cancel culture that's out there, just talking about how we've made it so impossible to go about daily life because there are so many restrictions politically, culturally, uh, out there that it's like just walking on a landmine. And this is why he moved his family to a farm to get out in the middle of nowhere. Now, this, of course, segues into a bit about gun control or what you would think would be gun control. Because he talks about how his kids, you know, he comes from from school and he's doing really well in life. And his kid runs up to see him and, you know, he finds out that they did a a training drill at school because of all these school shootings. And he says, this is a great line. I'll paraphrase it. But he says, yeah, I don't understand why they do these drills. All you're doing is training the kids to be afraid. And at the same time, and this is, this is brilliant. You're training the school shooter on what to do, (laughs) right? He's got the school shooter. He's like taking notes. He's like, okay. And we're all going to meet up where, you know, writing it down his notepad because the kids are doing it. What's the point of these drills? Everybody's afraid. The school shooter knows every step that's going to be taken to oppose he or her when they go in shooting up the place. Great point. And it shows you really the deep genius of Chappelle and the nuanced understanding he has of these issues. But he goes into a gun control pit and he says, you know, I don't see a peaceful way to disarm America's whites. We have to protect our country. Everyone has to register for illegal firearms right? He says, everyone has to register. And he kind of leaves it for a little bit so that you think he's going to say to vote, because he talks about the election briefly before this. You think he's going to say, register to vote to oust Trump and protect the country that they live in as black people. And they even, you know, Chappelle says we have an equal share in this country. But then he goes, everyone has to register, dot, 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 for a legal firearm. That's the only way they'll change the law. (laughs) It's just, it's just a perfect example of the bait and switch of joke craft. And he also goes on, he does a very long bit about gun ownership. So again, the nuanced view here where Chappelle is empirically says, you know, this is a problem. You know, he views, uh, obviously the, the you know, the number of school shootings that's happened as an issue. Uh, white gun, you know, the fact that they're all white kids, he makes mention of views that as an issue that has to be addressed. But at the same time, He says, you know, I wish I didn't have to own guns. I don't think everybody should. He goes, but I am armed to the teeth. You know, he's got, he goes into a long bit about owning guns, how he went and bought a gun, how he used these guns against heroin. He always, the bit about opiate addiction, he brings it in here. But he also talks about how he associates opioid addiction in the white community, which is primarily, you know, when you talk about opiate addiction, it's primarily a white problem, and crackheads in the black community. And it is, absolutely hilarious and brilliant but he does talk about also the moral high ground of the people in power at the time you know nancy reagan stay no to drugs and how oh well you just you just shouldn't do drugs just say no you know as if it's that easy as if you know this moral high ground that the white community took towards this crack epidemic which of course to remind everybody was put in place by ronald reagan and uh was essentially a government-designed thing to destroy the black community by virtue of importing massive amounts of cocaine into ghettos. But says, you know, this is not something that is, like, you know, you just turn it on and off and you're just making a foolish decision. says, this is something we need to address it. We need to help sick people. And I think that that was a very strong take. Now, to wrap this, this thing up, again, I'm not, try, I don't want to spoil it for you but he does talk about who he calls Juicy Smollett and a very McWilliams-esque pronunciation of Jussie Smollett and does a fantastic breakdown of that whole thing, talking about the absurdity of the scenario, how black people kept their distance from it because they knew it was horse shit and just ties it in beautifully with a callback to a far earlier reference in the show. So to sum this up, you really, if I can urge you to watch one thing on television or on streaming media and spend an hour of your time, I highly recommend this special. Now, as libertarians out there, and of those of you who are more liberty-leaning or may not be libertarians, maybe you just like to hear me get sweaty and yell in a microphone, as I know some of you out there do, it is really, you're not going to find a better example of very thoughtful, insanely funny joke craft and of a comedian doing what I feel every comedian should be doing. And that is not getting up there and proselytizing, not getting up there and just spouting pure advocacy to people that want to hear that pure advocacy because that defeats the point, number one, of comedy, but number two, plays into the echo chamber that exists today far too predominantly. The purpose, as I said earlier, of comedy is to break down walls, to break down norms, to make people think outside of what they would normally think about. And comedy can do that in ways that nothing else can because it's disarming. When you go in and see a comedian who you know just fucking hates Trump, or you go to a comedian who you know just fucking hates people on the left, full bore, and there's nothing there they like, you know you're not going to get anything nuanced. You know you're not going in there disarmed. If you don't agree with them, you're going in there with all of your walls up. All of your defenses are primed and ready. Nothing's getting through. You're not going to laugh. You're not going to listen. You're not going to have any conversations to go on from there. But you go in to somebody like Dave Chappelle, where he draws you in with a basic premise that you may or may not agree with, but he does the bait and switch. He does the nuanced approach where he takes you somewhere brand new and completely disarms you so well and so many times that it is a masterclass in how every comedian should go about their craft. So make sure to check that out, make sure to watch it, and make sure to come back, listen to this show right after this commercial break. We don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15 15-minute consultation just for listeners of the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 139. You can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 139. And the stories that will need show notes begin right now. So first thing back, I want to talk briefly, and these are all going to be brief if I can make them, got like 10 things to talk about now and about a half hour to do it, but Trump's trade war, right? The latest, Trump was just at the G7. I was kind of chuckling reading the G7 news that, you know, everybody reporting out of that is Trump is confusing people and they don't know what to make of him. And well, oh, some people say, he's an embarrassment. Some people say he's getting the job done in the media doesn't even know what to do. Obviously, CNN wants to paint it as as garbage. New York Times does too. You know, all these leftist outlets, they want to paint it as the worst thing ever. Meanwhile, it seems to me that he's actually being fairly effective while he's there. Uh, He's getting some things done with the French president. They're getting a tax thing worked out, which was, you know, digital taxation that would have cost a, a lot of money for American companies. So that's good. I mean, tax is all bad, but less tax is better than more tax. But it's just interesting looking at How Trump handles himself over there and the ways in which he negotiates, because people are saying that it's so freewheeling, even when he's dealing with these, you know, these world leaders, he and Macron were buttonheads, heads and, you know, it's all hatred. The media is reporting that it's an irreparably damaged relationship. Then Trump lands at the G7 in France and then immediately goes to lunch with the French president and works out deals with him over lunch and comes out and says, oh yeah, it was a great time. It's all good. Relationship's fine. It really is interesting to watch. And, you know, I've I've said this before, but I actually do believe that his negotiating strategy is pretty much to throw crazy shit out there and then reel it back in in private or reel it back in in subsequent statements. He does things to get an initial reaction. It's kind of like if you're in warfare, sending an early attack just to probe your enemy's defenses and see what they're going to come back at you with. This is what Trump continuously does with these people. And he really, for good or bad, He does not seem to give a damn about that initial reaction. He just wants to see what you're doing. You know, it's like throwing out a big early bid in poker. You want to see who's going to fold. You want to see who's going to come back at you. You want to try to read your opponent's reactions. Now, the one thing that's not working out well for him is China. And despite the fact that Trump said recently that China had talked, you know, called him and wanted to talk. And there are a lot of reports saying that China's economy is faltering pretty heavily. I mentioned before on shows, I think I was actually on Degenerate Gamblers with uh, Rico and Odie talking about we d- we diverged from telling stories and uh, and talking shit and making bets to talk about the China U.S. trade war. But China's biggest banks are failing. They've had to bail them out. They are taking heavy, heavy hits. And they may be reaching the point where they say, okay, well, let's let's do something. Let's work something out. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. The one thing I can tell you is not true is that the president does not have the power to tell American companies that they have to leave China and that they can't work there anymore. Now, Congress might, as we know, we're barred from going and doing business with Cuba. And of course, I don't think Congress should have that right either. However, what Trump says, and he tweeted out this quote: "Our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing dot 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 your companies home and making your products in the USA." He then, of course, called on companies to search and refuse shipments of fentanyl coming in from China. Now. Number of things idiotic about this. Number one, American companies have so much money invested in China that to say they need to pull out would not only be of a great detriment to those companies, all of their shareholders and all of America and the products that they make, because, you know, if we're just stepping aside and ignoring the domestic impact and Forbes, by the way, has a story estimating the domestic impact on American families from this tariff trade war at thousand dollars a household. I don't know if that's exactly true. That seems a little bit high to me. But at the same time, when you imagine all of the different things that get impacted by these trade wars, all of the costs of prices going up on basic things like t shirts that are no longer being made in China and shipped over here, well, understandable, I guess. But that aside, you look at the basic, like the auto companies of like Apple and how much market share they have in China. I mean, GM, you know—these they have cars over there that run on natural gas from Ford and from GM and all these other places. I mean, I saw them when I was there. They are pretty prevalent in the country. They have entire lines designed just to cater to that market of these tiny little cars running on natural gas. Apple's iPhones are pretty much ubiquitous in the Asian market. It's not just Huawei, or Huawei however you pronounce that, that massive Chinese cell giant. Apple's iPhones do have a large market share there. So they're going to pull it all out. They're going to pull all of the manufacturing out of China. All the toys are going to go somewhere else. Maybe that's possible, but it's going to take a hell of a lot of doing to get it done. Never mind the slowdown in domestic product that's going to happen. How are these companies going to expect to do their sales while they move their entire processes to different countries? go through the vetting process, shift the entire factories over there, train an entire new set of workers, make sure all the shipping materials get there on time and are set up, they're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Just as absolutely ridiculous. So I wanted to address that really quickly. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> you want to see a recession. That's how a recession happens. You have all the American companies that employ not only Chinese workers, but also millions of American workers losing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue over the course of a few months because a president has somehow convinced Congress to tell them they have to pull out of China. Just is absolutely asinine. And of course, never mind the amount of money that China's investing in our marketplace. I mean, it's billions and billions of dollars you're talking about, not only from Chinese government, but from individuals from China investing in the country. And, you know, I had done... Uh, done a little work with the Chinese government, to be honest. And yeah, don't judge me guys. I got to make the bills, but you know, there was a discussion. I was doing a media session and, uh, it was, that was a topic of discussion whether or not the Chinese government was actively encouraging Chinese business, not to invest in America because investment in the United States since the start of the trade war has dropped precipitously. I mean, I can't remember exactly how much it was down, but I think it was over 30% or over 40%. And we, that, that money is paying for all of our goods. It's paying people's salaries. It's uh, making buildings go up. Just, oh man, it's frustrating. And then the other thing too, you know, talking about fentanyl coming in, fentanyl is already something that's highly illegal here, isn't it? I mean, it's like they're already searching packages. They already search every package that comes over for illicit goods. What are they supposed to do? You open everybody's packages that come over? train do fentanyl sniffing dogs and go through at every facility in the United States and sniff for these packages. Uh, I don't really like to bust Trump's balls for a lot of the tweets he sent out, but these were just egregiously idiotic. <laughs> it's just so stupid. All right. Next topic I want to touch on is Bernie Sanders and his climate plan. And Andrew Yang also rolled one out. This is on the heels of leftists throwing a shit fit because the Democratic National Party decided they were not going to have a debate specifically on climate, most likely because they know it's a losing issue to run specifically on that and to uh, roll out plans like Bernie Sanders God, what is it some it's some the the trillions of dollars this plan would add up to. I'm trying to find the exact number of this article. It's something like, oh, here we go, sixteen point three trillion dollars is what Bernie Sanders plan would be. A number that is so astronomical, and this is over the period of the next like 10 years, $16.3 trillion. They know that to trot these insane proposals out in front of the American people, no matter how leftist you are, except for the real rabid tree fucking ecologist out there, they are just going to reject it. Because number one, it's not a real priority. Maybe for super lefty Democrats it is, but for the majority of America, it's not a real priority. They care about things that are actually going to impact their lives directly now, putting food on the table. And I think most people are not stupid enough to believe these crazy climate uh, lies about you've got 12 years until the con- you know, until everything sinks underwater. You look at the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of the Obamas buying a $15 million mansion in Martha's Vineyard or some other rich, yeah, Martha's Vineyard. But they buy this. In the meantime, they're saying that everything's going to be underwater. If they're, if they're right, their house is underwater. It's just like Bernie Sanders owning houses on the edges of water, you know, waterfront property. It's just all complete hypocritical bullshit. So Bernie Sanders' seventeen or $16.5 trillion plan has a lot of stuff in it that you'd expect, including just like the new Green Deal, $40 million allocated to help people that are underprivileged and people of color because you got to have that. It also has a huge emphasis on building out 20 million new jobs. And he's going to pay for these new jobs by creating them out of thin air, right? And then taxing them is the understanding according to this proposal. Which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Now, I don't want to talk too much about this. I will uh, point you guys to Dave Smith on that because he did an entire podcast just breaking down Bernie's platform I don't feel like rehashing it here. I think a lot of you probably do overlap, so I'm not going to do an entire episode on it. But just to break down the most ridiculous aspect of it, the fact that you can think that government can take money out of taxes and then create 20 million jobs that will somehow pay back the money you're putting into climate change, by taxing those 20 million jobs you've created with taxa- taxable money you took from the people and had that make any economic or mathematical sense is just, I don't know. Is Bernie Sanders snorting unicorn horn like cocaine? I I, I don't understand how anybody could let this get rolled out here under that under that positioning and not see how it is beyond insane. I mean, I, again, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but when you've got no jobs being created where you're not where you're bringing in let's see a new revenue stream and maybe Bernie Sanders is positioning this as though kind of like Elizabeth Warren wanted to create drugs and she was like we should have an agency you know we should just make the drugs ourselves like okay you crazy bitch whatever but well, maybe this old crazy bitch here male crazy bitch Bernie Sanders is envisioning Go- these government jobs being run by the government as the government is taking on manufacturing and creating the windmills? Is the government creating the building materials? Is the government creating this power structure and they building out the grid themselves? Or are they being hired out by people? Are they contracting uh, people to help them in and the government's just simply paying people to do that work? Because, in one way, in theory, maybe that could work. I still think it would fail miserably because the government would have to bring in and train people and take on a brand new means of production just like the fucking communists want control the means of production. They would control the means of production on this new energy wave, which of course would be catastrophic and slow. Uh, It would not work properly. You'd have terrible customer service. You'd have a website that costs $70 billion more than it was supposed to. And then you would simply have no competition within that solar region anymore, right? You've eliminated competition because the government owns your grid. They own all the means of production for the solar slash renewable energy market. If that's what Bernie Sanders is envisioning, I guess maybe at some point in time, it could pay for itself, but I would highly doubt it. And certainly the taxable income out of that is not going to pay for anything you would have to take all of the revenues provided from the energy that you've created after you build out this magical, mystical energy grid. If that's not the case, then you are literally just pretending to invent money and, and invent a, an industry. I guess you could say, well, we'll we'll print the money and we'll pay the people with the printed money. So it doesn't matter if we invent anything new. It doesn't matter if we have a new economy or outside revenue coming in because we will simply print the money and then we'll take the money out of the taxes to pay for ourselves. Nobody wins with that. You're still making everybody poorer because you see, you're still printing money out of thin air. You're still not bringing anything new to the table. You're just devaluing the currency and rolling it out into these new jobs, which you're then taxing back at a lower rate anyway. So you're still net losing money. It is wow, uh, it's special. Bernie Sanders is a special, special man. And also on top of this, this week he also put out a plan to fight. I guess the conglomeration of media. He wants to fight back against, quote, benevolent millionaires who control our media corporations, not our media corporations, the media corporations. And he wants to do this by fighting consolidation. Quote, today, after decades of consolidation and deregulation, just a small handful of companies control almost everything you watch, read, and download. Given that reality, we should not want even more of the free press to be put under the control of a handful of corporations and benevolent billionaires who can use their media empires to punish the critics and shield themselves to scrutiny. So he wants to push through laws to stop these mergers. He wants to push through laws that would demand that if any merger was set to take place, the employees of that company first be offered a chance to buy the company and buy shares. So we're talking about complete nationalization essentially by virtue of the government forcing companies to sell off their own companies to their workers rather than sell it to a competitor or a bigger company. And that, <laughs> this is this is my favorite idea, it would also bar mergers or deregulatory actions that would disproportionately affect people of color and women. What, the fuck does that even mean? As this is this all gobbledygook language, essentially what that means is government has control of any merger going on for any reason it so chooses to make up out of thin air. Having this, I, disproportionately affect women of color and, or people of color and women. So how exactly is a merger between two cable companies going to fuck over people of color? I don't know. Are they going to drop BET from the cable package? That's the only thing I can think of. Is Lifetime going to be taken off the air and replaced with Spike TV? What the fuck are we talking about here? Just again, it's a means to an ends of expanding these this Oversight, this constant regulation, this communist manifesto that Bernie Sanders has written in his own mind, and he's rolling out via these platforms where he's insisting that it's for the good of all people, that we've got to fight back against corporations, that we've got to fight for the good of the of the good of the earth, and the good of our future, and our children, and the women of color and the people. It's all nonsense. All it is is authoritarian power grabbing in the guise of some sort of moral high ground, in the guise of kumbaya, my lording. That's just, it is insane. And people, I think, I don't think any rational human being, again, just like his, his climate platforms, no rational human being is going to read that proposal and say, yes, this is a wonderful thing. And never mind the fact that every other of these big corporations that merged, I mean, God, remember Time Warner and AOL merging? AOL is now a shell. It's worthless. Remember how big Yahoo was? Outside of fantasy sports, what is Yahoo good for? Nobody uses these platforms anymore. They used to have a monopoly, quote, quote, unquote, not a monopoly, but you know what I mean, a de facto stranglehold on the competition. And we see what happens. Always, if there's money to be made there, if there is an action that can be taken, if there's a flaw in the system that can be exploited by a competitor, it will be exploited. Be that technologically, be that culturally, be that systematically, whatever it is, If there's money there, people want that money and they're going to try to get it. You're never going to have a stranglehold on an industry forever because it simply cannot exist in a free market unless your product is so far and beyond every other competitor that it is simply the best solution at the best price for the most people. In which case, you deserve to be on fucking top. Congratulations on your success and thank you thank you for what you're doing. Now, in regards to the media, I acknowledge these conglomerates are typically shoving out shit. I don't like the majority of what comes out. In fact, I oppose the majority of what comes out, especially when it comes to news media. But Bernie Sanders somehow thinking that putting the government in control of what merges can and can't happen being a good idea is sheer insanity. We're talking about an era where already we're allowed to have propaganda pushed through by the government because they dropped a bill that protected us from that domestic propaganda about five, six years ago. So now you've got the government having an undue influence on the media because you have direct economic say over what they can and can't do. You can shut them down at any time now because what if they're, what, what, what they're doing is impacting people of color? Well, we've got this amorphous language which allows you to have a dictatorship over them now. I mean, having that much undue economic influence is going to poison the well. It's basically a dictate where you can say, you will report how we want you to report. Otherwise, we will come after you. I mean, we did, people say, well, that's not going to happen. Well, the government's not good. It's not full of good people. You know, you would think that the IRS wouldn't be allowed to do that sort of thing. But oh, under Obama, it did when it went after conservatives. And that was the fucking IRS. We're just talking about Maybe the FCC. Give me a goddamn break. And then, of course, Andrew Yang's got his uh, his own climate change plan to come out, too. It's also fairly stupid, as you would imagine. Of course, because he loves his UBI, he has his UBI plan. He also has an additional something like $40 million he wants to give to underprivileged communities to fight climate change. Wackity schmackety The only thing good about Andrew Yang's proposal is that it's cheaper by $11 million than Bernie Sanders, but of course still wants to put all the infrastructure in place, still wants to have a moratorium on building houses that aren't carbon neutral, has, you know, demands that everything be carbon neutral by a certain point, demands that you know, renewable energies overtake the grid. Oh, that's, by the way, one more thing on the Bernie Sanders plan too. I said this before, I think it was last show. Any grid that is based upon renewable energies without a backup of fossil fuels will be destined to fail, period. They fail time and times again. We've seen this in nations that already have this. They cannot support the fucking, like the basic backbone of your energy grid cannot be supported by renewable energies because they are not predictably renewable and they don't have battery capacity to back them up. No battery can store enough energy. It would be far too big, far too expensive, and just simply doesn't have the capacity that fossil fuels have. We're seeing this roll out throughout the world as they shut down their coal-floured backbones. They are finding that, whoops, when a heat wave comes, your grid shuts down four days at a fucking time. It's happening right now. And yet we're seeing these goddamn climate proposals roll out to the people just ignoring these basic facts. Ridiculous. But at least, I'll say this, at least Andrew Yang is open to nuclear technology. And is, in fact, pushing it. He wants to embrace and push for nuclear technology. The, what are they? The uh, Generation 4 and 5 reactors. Unbelievably safe. Unbelievably efficient. No problems reported. Everybody should be embracing nuclear as the cleanest, most powerful, and easiest solution to implement. We've already got it. It's ready right now. If you want to do some renewable energies, that's your renewable energy source. Okay. Woo! All right, we're almost wrapping it up, guys. Last, uh, not the last one, I got a couple more, but how about this one? Secret memos have leaked talking about Backpage.com. If you're not familiar with Backpage, Backpage was a website kind of like a Craigslist, but for, uh, it typically got more illicit uses. So a lot of prostitutes would go on there, they would post their wares, you give them a call, go to the John, get, not go to the John, as in like take a shit. Actually, they didn't have John's. Wait, are you the John? <laughs> I can't remember how that worked. I think the guy's the John that goes to the prostitute. I don't know, whatever it is. But they'd be able to vet you online. It it really eliminated the need for pimps. It el- eliminated a lot of prostitute murders. I'll tell you that much. And people felt safer in sex work. It really revolutionized things. It made everything safer, everything easier, everything more confidential for people. And the feds come in because all of these. Gotta get shit done. All these busybodies and assholes. See backpages.com. Now, remember, most of them have no idea what it actually does. They just think that, oh, this is sex trafficking. Oh, child, child sex trafficking. So they try to get the the, uh, site shut down, mostly through lies. The government gets involved and do shut the site down because they do an investigation. They come in, they arrest the founders of Backpages. They say that they were allowing prostitution to happen for children on the site. They didn't stop sex trafficking. Well, Whoops, guess what? Turns out that the feds lied. Turns out that they actually, in their own investigation, years and years prior, back in 2012, found that Backpage.com actually did some of the most effort, the most investigative... processes to find out when and where anything having to do with child prostitution was posted. They responded faster than any other service in regards to any notice that was given from a customer or a, or like an online watch group to say, this is child prostitution. They would go in there, they'd shut it down, they'd find out what the IP was, they would do everything in their power to stop it. That report was ignored internally because the powers that be decided they had to kowtow to the fucking leftists and the moral police and the uh, the child child check, child checks for black blues, the child sex human trafficking uh, alarmist cabals out there, and prosecute two guys who were running a pretty goddamn good website, making life better and safer for the majority of people that were using it, and actively fighting against child sex trafficking more than any other site on the internet. So again, shows you the despicable nature of your government. The old adage of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I hope that these guys get out very soon. I hope that this becomes a massive lawsuit. I hope the government has to pay out the fucking nose, even though I acknowledge that's our tax dollars. I want these guys to be compensated. I want them out of jail. I want backpage.com up and going and I want sex work Decriminalized. I want it to be legal. I think there's a couple people pit championing out the democratic side of things, but it's just, it's time, man. It is ridiculous. Oh. Okay. Whew. Two more things <laughs> Netanyahu, right? Old Bibby Netanyahu over this past weekend. Israel staged attacks in Iraq. I think it was in the northern part of Iraq where the Yazidi people are. Uh, and there's certain, I guess, ISIS factions there. Of course, I work with a foundation that is combating and uh, trying to fight back to this genocide. A lot of the ISIS committed genocide against the Yazidi people, enslaved their women, murdered the men, took the children, made them into child soldiers. Truly horrible stuff. However, it still is part of Iraq. Israel went up there, they're bombing stuff, they're taking out uh, what they said was Iranian influence, warriors, just whatever bullshit they want to make up. They bombed several sites. I think there were three different attacks that they undertook. The U.S. acknowledged that, yes, Israel did bomb part of Iraq. Of course, we are still in Iraq. And now Netanyahu, is urging the international community to act to protect Israel because Iraq and Lebanon viewed Israel's acts as an act of war. Which seems to make sense, you know, when somebody drops bombs in another country that they're not at war with and that they have no jurisdiction over, you would think that reasonably the country that was bombed and maybe one of their neighboring allies might say that that is in fact an act of fucking war. Israel, of course, doesn't see it that way. Israel feels that they need to now be protected by the international community despite the fact that they fucking went and bombed other people's countries without any sort of permission without any declaration and that they should now be you know put in the corner nope you know, put the corner put the crib doors up make sure none of the big bad men can come in. Israel reminds me of the little sister that goes up, like the brother's taking a nap on the couch or the brother's playing video games, not paying attention. And the little sister runs up and punches him in the back of the head and then runs back to mom and goes crying, goes, Donnie's after me, Donnie's after me. And then the brother runs up and then the mom goes, what did you do? What did you do to your sister? That's fucking Israel. Their actions. And you know, like, look, said this before, I'll say it in. I'm not saying anything against Israelis, people specifically. I know a lot of people from Israel. I know a lot of Jewish friends of mine that go to Israel. In fact, I've got a good friend that's a rabbi. He's been Israel a shitload of times. But as a state entity, what Israel does is absolutely atrocious. They are constantly doing this shit. They have a fucking past that no other country in the world has ever enjoyed, other than, I guess, America— where they're pretty much free to do anything that they want, and there's zero repercussions for it. This is just one more example of Israel using this anti-Semitic bullshit that they like to tout around there and saying that we should be protected, we should be special citizens that don't have to play by anybody else's rules, despite the fact that they're killing people in other nations. And then, just like that little sister that attacks the brother and runs away when the other brother hasn't even done anything to him, and really, when's the last time Iran did anything to Israel? In the past 30 fucking years. But no, even though that brother hasn't done anything, they go up, punch him in the back of the head, run away, and then mommy, big big brother mommy, big mommy uh, has to get involved and make sure that brother doesn't come in and kick the living shit out of them. It just makes me absolutely sick. The entire relationship has gotten so repulsive that I just, it, it is beyond upsetting to me that it continues to go on, that we continue to fund them as we do and support everything that they're doing as far as the snipers uh, just blowing people's legs off in Pakistan that are unarmed, killing children over there, expanding their, their uh, settlements, even though they keep having agreements they agree with, then they break their own agreements and keep killing people and pushing them out. They wreck, you know, fucking city blocks of people's houses, push them out that have been there for 30 years to build these settlements. But that's all fine, right? Because they're, you know, because they're the only democratic Jewish state. We have to support that. I don't know. You know, man, morally supporting people that can do that kind of thing just to keep a government in place that we enjoy. I don't know. It doesn't seem right to me. All right. Last thing. Let's talk about our idiot of the week. And that's Marianne Williamson, who says that we have to stay in Afghanistan to advance feminism. What? An idiot. This is just God, it's almost like flying into the plane of the whole Israel thing. Why do we have to protect Israel? Because Israel is they're they're you know morally like us and they have they have rights and they have technology, they live in a city that looks like a city. Meanwhile, you know, maybe maybe Palestine would look like a, a city if it didn't, kept getting bombed by Israel. You know, maybe if they hadn't blocked off all the ins and outs, they wouldn't be living in a third world country. They'd actually have some technological advances there. Be a nice place. But, you know, we need to stay in Afghanistan to advance feminism. That's why we need, to ha- we need to keep continuing to have people get murdered that have no interest there to advance feminism in another country. If that's your rationale, the United States to be positioned everywhere at all times that is in the United States because pretty much every nation on the planet has different issues to deal with, Marianne. I mean, I'm sure even in the UK, there's some sort of difference in opinion. There's some sort of discrimination going on over there. I mean, I've heard that people are pretty upset with the Muslims in town because they keep stabbing people on the streets. So should we go over there and make sure that the Muslims are well-represented? Or should we go and make sure that the, the blacks aren't feeling that the Muslims are taking their jobs? Or should we go and you know go to Latin America and make sure that anybody there that happens to be a, a stay-at-home mom doesn't feel slighted and gets made sure that they've got equal rights under the, the laws? I mean, this is just like the never-ending slope. The never-ending story of a military, a never-ending story, a never-ending occupancy. Oh God, I'm fucking sweaty, I'm delirious. All right, it's just it, it's it's like the classic excuse of we have to go over because we're America and we're important and we have these these democratic values and everybody should be free and right. When does it end? When does it stop? When do we bring people home? When do we stop killing people to defend other people's rights that may not even want them or want us there in the first place at the cost of everybody here domestically? People that are struggling to keep their goddamn, the the lights on, keep food on the table. Meanwhile, we keep raising the fucking taxes on everybody so they can barely make a living. For what? For who? To quote famous Former Eagle, Ricky Waters, running back. For who? For what? Was his response when people asked him why he ran out of bounds instead of fighting for that extra yard. Good point, Ricky. You know, <laughs> it's going to cost you your career. And in this uh, metaphor, the career would be the future of America. Because we're spending ourselves into oblivion. We're spending blood, spewing blood on the ground for all these all these ridiculous purposes that are simply creating more terrorists that want to fight back against us. Uh, You know, it's this started off on a high note guys talking about Chappelle's great comedy special. It ended on a low note. There's just too much garbage coming at me. And I tell you it's, this has really become a problem because there's so much news, you know, coming out of the fire hose. I'm like Kramer and UHF, like Michael Richards drinking from the fire hose. It is tough to deal with. The negative news, I mean, it's God. It's like, give me something positive. Give me something to believe in, guys. It is weighing on my psyche. Just seeing this every day. Things go in the wrong direction. All right. That's it from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged in to Liberty.